Good morning. I have several um, announcements. So um, this Wednesday, we start the Wednesday night dinners back. Um, so if you need to sign up for that, you'll need to see uh, Jerry Wagner, or you can call the church office and just let them know how many people that you have uh, for the Wednesday night dinners. And if you sign up, from what I understand, once you sign up, you've signed up for every Wednesday. So if you need to cancel, you'll need to call the church office by that following uh, Monday to cancel for that meal for that next Wednesday. Um, this Wednesday's meal is going to be free, so you need to be sure to show up for that. And then we have um, a volleyball sign-up sheet uh, for the church volleyball team, which is on the will be on the board over there, or is on the board, um, and that starts on August the 12th. Co-ed. 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 Okay, and then Sunday, August the 15th, we have our church potluck. So be sure to put that on your calendar. And that will be immediately following church. Okay, immediately following church. And this Sunday for the youth, um, we have a youth parent uh, spaghetti dinner. That's going to be at 530. Um, if you plan on attending that and you have not spoke with me, please let me know today um, after church. Uh, we will be talking about the youth program for 2010. You will have the opportunity to um, put in any um, advice or any kind of certain um, activities that you want us to try to um, implement into the program. And it would be a good opportunity for all of us to be able to talk about that. And I also have invited the youth council members to that meeting. So they will have the opportunity to hear what you have to say. And then we can take that back to our meeting that we're going to have next Sunday. So. <clears throat> I think I've got everything. Chris, choir practice. choir practice starts Wednesday evening after um, our Bible study. 720. They want new voices. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and they never ask me. I don't understand that. Okay. And Christine has some announcements about um, Upward. Good morning. Uh, we're going to be uh, beginning our Upward Ministry in August. Uh, registrations will begin August 16th. If you have a child or know of a child that's interested, see me after service. I've already got the brochures in and they can begin filling that out. Um, the potluck on August 15th, what we decided to do this year instead of having an Upward Kickoff Banquet, uh, during or after that potluck, if you can uh, help with Upward in any way, we'll have tables set up and you can go ahead and fill out all the necessary forms at that time and let us know what areas you'll be able to help us with it with Upward. Uh, if you would like to help to sponsor a child with an Upward scholarship, it is $65 is a, is a total amount for a child to be able to play or to cheer. Uh, but any donation towards Upward would be appreciated. Just make sure you notate on the memo of your check that, that that's for an Upward scholarship, and we'll make sure that gets where it needs to go. And uh, we're just looking forward to a, uh, to a fun season. And if you have any questions, if you're new to our church and don't really know what Upward's about, uh, feel free to ask me uh, for my husband, John, over there on the drums. Uh, we'd be glad to fill you in a little bit about what the ministry is about and all the different areas that we have that we need volunteers. It's totally ran by volunteers of the church. And we need people to bring brownies. Uh, the way we tell the community about Upward is the school system is kind enough to let us distribute these flyers uh, the first full week of school. So we take those to the different schools and they stick these in the kids' backpacks so they take them home. So what we ask the uh, members of the church to do, if you'll volunteer to make a couple of dozen brownies 
and bring those either next Sunday or Monday morning before nine. We take those with the flyers and it's just kind of a thank you to the teachers to let them know how much we appreciate them taking time to let the students know about the ministry. Thank you. Now let us stand and greet each other in the name of the Lord. Last week we had a special offering for the community outreach program and we raised over $500. Take an amen. amen.
<laughs> 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 we're thinking about that later. I don't know. I, I have to decide whether to start with the party. How about, oh, sure. Both. Have a need or a want? Need. Need. Not you don't need all the single things I'll be No. No. <laughs> oh, I know something that I need. Jesus Christ, Stiletto Hill. <laughs> <laughs>
the scripture today for Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set, set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in abundance of possessions. 
Then he told them a parable. The land of a the land of abundance and possessions. This is the parable. The land uh, of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crop. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger barns. Uh, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the, the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but not rich toward God. Uh, dear God, we thank you for this beautiful day and all our blessings. Use this offering to support our church and its needs. Help us to treasure our blessings and use them for the good of your kingdom. Amen.
Please join your hearts as I pray right now. Most wonderful and gracious Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name for this act of worship that we do here this morning. Lord, while we worship you, help us to do none other than to learn about your love, to learn about your grace, and to learn about your kindness. Lord, as we give of our offerings and your tithes and our lives this morning, help us to use them in ways that give you the glory and further your kingdom. For we say all this in your most wonderful and omnipotent name. Amen. Amen. William Williman was the chaplain for many years at Duke University. He's also a well-known writer and speaker, and he has an uncanny ability to say wise things in a witty way. Uh, he tells about one incident in which his wife had a, he and his wife had a group of students over to their home after a chapel service for a picnic. And then some of the students just kind of hung around to talk and to play basketball on their basketball goal. And so Williman sat on the patio there with one of the students who said, Dr. Williman, thanks for having us over to your home. This is the first time I've ever been in a faculty home. And Williman said, that's a disgrace. I think the faculty ought to have students in their homes as, as often as possible. Well, few faculty think that way said the student. And you have such a beautiful home, he said, and Wilman said, thank you. And then the student added these words. He said, let me ask you something. Do you ever feel guilty about being a Christian and living in such a nice house? And Wilman responded, now I'm remembering why it's not such a great idea to have you people over to my house. <laughs> but such says Williman, are the challenges of attempting to be a Christian in the midst of affluence. Millard Fuller 
The founder of Habitat for Humanity once noted that an increasing number of affluent people in our land are doing what wealthy people are doing in developing countries. They build walls around themselves to keep the poor people away. And they don't share, he says. Religious folks among the wealthy often theologize that God has blessed them and, and they say that they worked hard or their parents worked hard or their husband or wife worked hard and so they deserve all of the possessions that they have and they are entitled to the luxurious lifestyle that they enjoy and they feel no obligation at all to share with others. He tells about an article that appeared in the Atlanta Constitution, which described a, a rich young man whose income was well over a million dollars a year. And so the, the young man built himself a plush mansion. And the article re also revealed that he was a, a Sunday school teacher. And when he was asked about his great wealth in light of his Christian commitment, the young man replied that God had given him the talent to make money and that justified him using his money on himself. And there was not a single word said about sharing with anyone. Fuller notes that while he was on a visit to a habitat project in Oklahoma, I mean, I'm sorry, Nebraska, uh, his host drove him past a new six and a half million dollar home of a local business tycoon. It was enormous. He was told that the owner had buzzers installed in the rooms of the house so members of the family could find one another in the house. And then he says, when any re reasonable person might ask, when is enough enough? Futurist Faith Popcorn tells us that there's a new phrase that has been coined for opulent homes like this, and they're called starter castles. <laughs> and of course, the, the building of most of these starter castles occurred before the recent real estate meltdown, but they still point to a very glaring development that is occurring right here in our nation, and that is the widening gulf between the haves and the have-nots. And it all sounds very much like a parable that Jesus told. It's a familiar parable, but it has a very uncomfortable ending. And here it is. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop, and so he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all of my grains and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus concludes this parable by saying this, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself or herself, but is not rich towards God. Ouch. Ouch. I would like to think that he was not talking to me or to you. But I kind of suspect he was. Now, we may not think of ourselves as rich, most of us here in, in, in our congregation today, and especially when we compare ourselves to somebody living in a six and a half million dollar home. But you know something? If we compare what we have to the citizens of a nation like, like Haiti, for example, since that's been on our heart all this year since the earthquake, when we compare ourselves to their situation, we are wealthy people indeed. And so with that in mind, I think we need to carefully consider the role of money in our lives as faithful Christians. Let me tell you something about money and God that may surprise you. 
In the first three Gospels of the New Testament, one out of every six verses deals with the use or abuse of money. One out of every six verses deals with the use or the abuse of money. Sixteen of the 34 parables that Jesus told deal specifically and directly with money. There are over 500 verses in the Bible that deal with prayer, but there are over 2,500 verses in the Bible that deal with money, five times as many. And so my friends, what this tells me is that no one who seriously wants to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior, no one who seriously wants to do this can avoid the subject of money in our lives. Jesus precedes this parable with this admonition. Watch out. Watch out, he said. Be careful. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For a person's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. And that's true, isn't it? Our life is not about what we have so much as it's about what we do. And especially in this situation, what we do with what we have. Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth McKee Gore said something recently that puts our lives into perspective. She said, if you get a raise, you smile, you go out for drinks, you celebrate. And then she contrasts the celebration with the lives of people in Mali, in West Africa. And she says, in Mali, if a child lives to their first birthday, they celebrate by giving that child a name. They don't name their children before their first birthday. And you know why? Because the mortality rates are so high for children under the age of one. And families that have children over the age of five, they are thought to be rich or wealthy. Between disease and the, and the high cost of food, the chances of having multiple children over the age of five are very slim indeed. Here, she says, you can find the true meaning of wealth. I want you to think about that for a moment. If you have children who are over the age of five, you're wealthy. And how much would you take for the health of your children? My friends, if you have people who love you, if, you, if you're relatively healthy, if, if they're relatively healthy, you are rich. And I don't care what your balance sheet might say, you are rich. And if you have enough food to eat, and if you have enough clothes to wear in a warm house on a cold night, then you are very rich indeed. And folks, how many of us have so, so very much more than that? And yet we have a really hard time sharing that with others. And this is not a matter just of economics. This is a matter of deep spiritual concern. For you see, the teachings of Jesus have a lot to say about our obligations to those who are not as blessed as we are. And I am grateful. Folks, I want to tell you something. I am so grateful for the generosity of folks here in our church, here at Community Baptist Church. When you find out that there's a need, you always amaze me with your quick and your generous response. Just like last Sunday, we, 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 we learned that, that the Henderson Christian Outreach was out of funds and their, their need was, was greater than it ever had been before. And so we just made a little announcement here, a little impromptu announcement and took up an impromptu collection after church and received $584.81. Good job, church. Good job. But you know what? Some of us didn't stop there. Because you see, one day this week, I'm not sure which day it was, Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, Nibby 
Friday. One of those. <laughs> Nibby was motivated to get on his bicycle and go around and collect some more money for the Christian outreach. He received over $1,200 and pledges that reach over $1,500. Isn't that great? And it's all for the sake of Jesus. So you see that, that one little announcement resulted in over $2,000 for the hungry people here in Henderson. Is that not an example of the fishes and the loaves and how wonderful things can happen from small beginnings? Isn't that great? And that's how we need to be. We need to be open-handed towards those in need. Because Jesus calls us to do that. In one of his writings, Gerard Hughes, a Roman Catholic priest, asked, he asked this. He said, what would you do if there was a knock on your door one evening and, and when you went to your door, there was, Jesus was standing there? And Jesus is standing there. He's grinning from ear to ear and he says, there you are. How wonderful to see you. How much I love you. And of course, you smile from ear to ear in return. And you invite Jesus into your house. And out comes the good china. And the tea and the cake. And you and Jesus have a really wonderful evening together. And, 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 and being the good Christian that you are, you, you invite Jesus into your life. And you insist that, that Jesus must stay with you and become a part of your household. But that's when the trouble begins. Because you see, Jesus does that. And, and, and before you know it, Jesus has invited the local homeless person to join you in your household. And, and then as if that was not enough, one day you come home and you find that Jesus has invited to, into your household all of those local guys who go around stealing cars and vandalizing property. And so what do you do? Well, you decide you need to put a stop to this. And so you politely invite Jesus to step inside the, the cupboard underneath the stairs. And when he does, you proceed to lock the door with Jesus inside. And very probably you nail it shut just for good measure. And, and, and then you may decorate the door, possibly with a cross and, and a candle maybe, and, and maybe even some liturgical cloth for the appropriate time of the church year. And every time you walk past the cupboard, you bow to it reverently and, and you say a little prayer. And the net effect of all this is that you've got Jesus in your house, you've got Jesus in your house, but most importantly, you got him where he can't tr cause any more trouble. I may sound a little bizarre, but you know something? Father Hughes has hit us where it hurts. And if Jesus' parable of the rich fool does not trouble us, then we're in denial. And I know somebody will say, but pastor, we're saved by grace and not by works. And I absolutely believe that. That's true. But salvation means that Christ comes into our hearts and takes up residence there and we become like him. That's what it means to be saved. Fred Weirher said in one of his sermons that if the cross doesn't change you, it doesn't save you. And that doesn't mean that we're perfect. And it doesn't mean that we're all that Christ has meant for us to be. And, 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 but it does mean that we're on the right path. And it does mean that we have Jesus' heart for a world in need. Watch out, says Jesus. Be careful. Be on guard against all kinds of greed, he said. For a person's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. And so where does this leave us? Should we take everything that we own and sell it and give it to the poor? Probably not for most of us. It's clear from the scripture that, that Jesus only calls a few people to that level of radical commitment. 
But at the same time, we need to take Jesus' teachings very seriously. And so if I may, let me offer three simple suggestions that may be helpful in this time of economic uncertainty. Here's the first one. We need to learn how to live more simply. This is the first step that you and I can take in living more like Jesus wants us to live. We need to learn how to live more simply. Now, I'm going to ask you a question today. And this may qualify as moving beyond the scope of preaching and into the realm of meddling. <laughs> but here it is. How many of you have too much stuff? Come on. How many of you have too much stuff? I do. I do. Probably most of us do. And, and no, matter, no matter how many trips I make to, to Goodwill or St. Vincent de Paul or to the Habitat Restore, I still have too much stuff. And like that rich landowner in Jesus' parable, what do we do? We have to build bigger and bigger houses. And bigger and bigger garages just to hold all our stuff. And some of us even have to go and we have so much stuff we have to go and rent a mini warehouse to hold it all. Sorry. Didn't mean to step on any toes there. But here's the question. Does it make us happy? All that stuff? No. We've simply become addicted to acquiring more stuff. Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, describes our problem like this. He says it's a matter of basic physics. The greater the mass, and this, if those of you who, are, <clears throat> who know anything about physics, you'll, you'll understand this. The greater the mass, the greater the hold that mass exerts. It has to do with gravity and things like that. And so the more things we own, the greater their total mass, and the more they grip us, setting us in orbit around them. And finally, like a black hole, they suck us in. Every item that we buy is one more thing that we have to think about and talk about and clean and repair and rearrange and fret over and replace when it goes bad. God is calling many of us to a simpler way of life, and, and that's where we should begin. Many of us simply have too much stuff. Secondly, we need to evaluate our level of giving, and not just to the church, but to every aspect of God's work, including charity and missions. We need to reevaluate our level of giving. Dr. Carl Menninger, um, a world-renowned psychiatrist, uh, was talking to an unhappy, wealthy patient one day, and he asked this wealthy patient what he was going to do with all of his money. The patient replied, just worry about it, I guess. And so Menninger asked, well, do you get that much pleasure out of worrying about your money? And the patient said, no, but I get terrified when I think of giving some of it to somebody else. And then Dr. Menninger went on to say something very profound. He said, generous people are rarely mentally ill. <laughs> Do you hear that? Generous people are rarely mentally ill. Wow. How profound is that? My friends, people who cannot share what they have with others have deep-seated problems. And this is not just a, an issue of mental health. This is a deep spiritual issue as well. And so if your level of giving to the work of God and to the service of others requires no sacrifice on your behalf, on your, uh, on your part, then you've probably got Jesus locked up in the cupboard. And he's not really living in every part of your life. And here's the final thing that we need to see. And that is that the extent of our giving is the most accurate gauge of the authentic authenticity of our faith. Jesus said it about as clearly as it could be said. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. Or as Mr. Otis Blake, my old Sunday school teacher from 30 years ago, used to say almost every Sunday, <laughs> he said, Jesus doesn't have your heart until he also has your wallet. And there's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? Many years ago, missionary Bob Roberts was a guest speaker in a church and he was sharing his, his burden for hungry children in the Philippines. And afterwards, a young boy, about seven years old, little, little boy, came up to him and he said, Jesus spoke to me tonight while you were talking about the, the hungry children. And when you said that for a quarter a day you could feed a child and give him a vitamin, I, I thought, I've got to help. I've got to do something. But I didn't know how. And that's when Jesus spoke to me. And then the boy held out his hand and he said, this is my shell collection. And I believe Jesus wants me to give my shells to help the children. And with those words, he placed the shells in, in Robert's hand. And, and Robert's accepted the shells, but, but he wondered how they could help the hungry children in the Philippines. And he wasn't sure, but he certainly wasn't going to uh, throw cold water on this young child's enthusiasm. Well, about, about two or three weeks later, Roberts was speaking in, to another congregation, and, and he, he pulled out that collection of shells, and he told about the boy that he had met a couple of weeks previous, uh, prior, and, and his desire to help feed the children. And at the end of that service, a man came up to Roberts, and he said, I want to buy those shells for $100. Then Robert said, my, my freckled-faced little friend may never know that his sacrificial offering provided 400 meals for Filipino children. And he, he may not have understood how the Lord would use this small gift to feed the hungry, but he knew that God wanted him to give what he had and he was obedient God came to the rich man who had to build bigger and bigger barns to hold all of his stuff and he said you fool and he was foolish wasn't he but here's what we can learn from him we all need to learn to live more simply. And we all need to evaluate our level of giving. And we all need to understand that the extent of our giving is the most accurate gauge that we have of the authenticity of our faith. And of course, Jesus said it best when he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the question that we have today is this. Where's your heart? Where's your treasure? Amen. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond as the Holy Spirit leads you as we sing together Higher Ground, number 484. We're going to give you an opportunity to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and publicly proclaim that. We invite you to do that today if you've never done that. Or maybe you're looking for a church home to be a part of. We invite you to come and unite with our church today. I don't know, maybe we should, in response to this sermon, take up another offering, but uh, we won't do that. Uh, but... Maybe you can respond next week uh, in that way. But the point is that God is here in this place. And it is God's spirit that moves us to do what we need to do. And if you need to do something today to make a commitment, to unite with our church, to make another kind of commitment, a commitment to follow these simple suggestions 
Or maybe you just need a time of prayer. If God's dealing in your heart today in any way, we invite you to come as we sing higher ground. And that's what we seek for, higher ground. And that's what we can find in the life of Christ. Would you come? Turn to the Lord and receive God's blessings. In this world of confusion, God will guide your steps. And when you stumble and fall, God will lift you up to higher ground. When you're too tired to take another step, God will carry you and give you new strength. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, the Holy One who is in our midst. Amen.